0: So I just want to encourage you today as we share around this time I want to share out of Proverbs 11.25 and it's probably a proverb that you've heard before Um, but it's one that I come back to every now and again just to remind myself because I think it's a pretty special one and it says this the generous prosper and are satisfied those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed and you know As I was thinking about today, I thought, as women, we know how to refresh each other, don't we? Like when we get together, and the men don't get it. No offence, men. But they don't understand that when we as women get together, and we laugh, and we joke, and we cry, and we support each other, we're actually putting something back into that other person or those other people. For example, this week has not been a very good week for me. There's been a few things that's happened in the life of our church, but also in our own personal lives that have just turned us upside down. But I brought four women, all four of us, me included, here today from Biloela, and we laughed, and we giggled, and we talked the whole way over to the point when we got outside of Gladstone and someone in the car said, oh, we're here already. <laughs> we, and that refreshed me, because we, that's what we do. We refresh each other. And this scripture says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I'm sure that you've sometimes felt a little bit blah, and then your friend rings, or you catch up with someone for coffee, and you walk away going, oh, I feel so good. I feel refreshed. And to me, that's what this verse is saying. The generous prosper and are satisfied. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. In the King James Version, the generous, the word generous actually means liberal soul. Liberal. You don't hold back. You're not going to be refreshed by someone who holds back from you. If you go to someone for a chat and they don't talk to you or they don't help you, you don't go away feeling, oh, that was really good. Excuse me, that was really good. But you, when, when that other person is generous in what they give to you, you go away feeling alive, alive. And I just want to encourage you today not to be stingy, not just in your financial giving towards our, our women's ministry in this region, but also to each other. Don't be stingy in your love and encouragement that you give each other because if, if you did, you're not refreshing others. And the Bible says if you do you will be refreshed yourself. And I'm sure that even this morning, some of us, if not all of us, have felt refreshment. Have we not already? With Ruth's ministry, it's been a blessing already. So this promise in this verse, I want you to take hold of it today. If you refresh others by being generous, you will be refreshed yourself. is the motive behind our giving today is to be generous and a blessing to women in our community, in our, not just community, sorry, in our region And um, so I encourage you today to give, and give generously. Those of you um, who are going to collect the offering, if you could just stand up or come forward. And as we collect, ladies, if we could stand together. I'm just going to pray this morning before we collect this. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of refreshing. Lord, that this word is like water being saturated. Lord, of us being saturated with water, Father, that's what this word refresh means. And I just pray today that as we are generous in our giving, Lord, in our financial giving, that, that, Lord, you will refresh us because we are going to refresh others in our region by the gift that we are going to give today, Father. And we speak that out in faith and we pray that what is collected today, Lord, that you would guide michelle and and the ladies team lord to put it where you want it to be and lord that you would refresh others through it and you would use us lord to bless other people and to be a blessing in jesus name amen you may be actually no don't sit down (laughs) because we want to welcome our wonderful guest speaker back up um, this morning as that's being collected Um, ruth if you could come again and let's just welcome her this morning. If you still got your money, um, but let's welcome her back up. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much, Sandy. Thank you. Great shoes, by the way, Sandy. Love that red. <laughs> well, um, maybe have a seat. But let's um, what's, what's your name? Joel. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this with all these women. You're doing very well. It is a scary place. <laughs> Can we show our appreciation to Joel?
0: <laughs>
1: and I just have to say, I love seeing a female bass player and drummer. It's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> I was a creative ministries pastor for seven years at Nexus and we never managed to nail a female drummer. So I'm very envious. <laughs> Oh, well, um, great morning tea. I, as soon as I saw those cookies, I was like, they look homemade. I'm totally eating them. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, I'm looking forward to this session. This session I've called Play Your Trump Card. So, I don't know if you're a cards player, whether anyone's done You Know. Who's played You Know? Yep, You Know. Yep, yep. Big fan. It's about the only card game I'm any good at. Um Occasionally I've tried to play poker with um, not actual gambling um, and I just think it's the stupidest game ever because it's basically based on you just have to try and trick each other into what kind of hand you've got. I'm like, where's the skill in that? That's dumb. But you know, you know it can get, um, it can get vicious. <laughs> and if you've ever been playing you know, and those of you who haven't played you know won't know what I'm talking about for a second, but stay with me. Uh, and you're down to, you know, your last cards and you said you know, and you know you've got a card that's going to win regardless of what anybody else does, particularly that wonderful draw four. And you know it doesn't matter what colour the stack is at the moment, it doesn't matter what people put down, you've got that draw four and basically you're going to win any hand. And it's just a really good feeling because you can see everybody else trying to strategize to take you down. But, you know, you've got the winning card in your hand. That's your trump card. That's the card where you go, it doesn't matter what cards are on the table right now, I know I'm going to be the victor in a moment and I can do a victory lap and I've got bragging rights. Uh, Holding a trump card means whatever comes your way, you're going to have that winning hand and it means you can just sit there just confidently, just smile as you see them sweating it out, trying to work out how to stop you. And you can just be there with your trump card in your hand, ready to play it. Well, I'm going to talk to us about a trump card psalm today. And uh, Psalm 27, which is one of my most favourite psalms. I like all psalms. Um, Actually, I like the whole Bible, uh, apart from a few passages in Leviticus that just get, you know, talking about the mould and stuff like that. Not enjoyable reading, but it's important to have it there. But um, so we're looking at Psalm 27, which is the trump card Psalm, and it's just got so much truth and encouragement in there. We could talk about it for days, um, but we're not going to, because um, I know people have to get back to wherever they've come from this afternoon. This afternoon, but we're going to look at three areas that we can use Psalm 27 as our trump card, regardless of what life is throwing at us, regardless of what cards are on the table in front of us at the time. So we're going to start at the beginning and work our way through it. So if you've got your Bible, Um, We're going to start in verse 1, and if you don't have your Bible with you, just lean over and someone will have it, and you can read over their shoulder. So Psalm 27 starts, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. You know, we are all going to face, perhaps this week, um, perhaps this year, perhaps in the week that is to come, we're going to face um, different opportunities where we can get fearful. And fear can come against us in all kinds of ways and all kinds of um, situations. It could be the fear of failure. It could be the fear of the future could be the fear as i talked about earlier the fear of not um, measuring up or a fear of lack or it could be a fear of loss and fear can be a very very real and powerful emotion and spiritual principle at work in our life and in the world sometimes particularly at the moment sometimes i feel like i just have to turn the news off it's like it just i don't need to feed on that stuff Um, because of technology and we've got everything that goes wrong in the whole world now can come into my lounge room and I'm not equipped to carry everything that's going wrong in the whole world. Um, Jesus is the only one who can carry all of that and so sometimes you go, I'm just not going to watch the news, I'm not going to read that newspaper article Um, I can't carry that. So there is very much a case of sometimes we have to just be wise with filtering and not taking stuff on and not feeding on things that can make us fearful. But there will, in our life and in our circles, things will come that will try and um, make us fearful. And in verse 1 to 3 there, in Psalm 27, we learn that his love is the trump card over our fear. So, uh, an example in my own life of where I found this is, so as I said, and I I promised you in the first session I was going to explain how I ended up in Parliament in this next session. So, this is this little part of my story. Um, So, as I said, I had been, um, after deciding I was going to be a corporate lawyer and not deal with people, and then God redirecting me and moving me into pastoral ministry, Um, so I was there for about 14 years in a range of different um, ministries, so creative ministries, young adults, um, our charity, so working with um, particularly our local area for those who didn't have enough money for food and generational poverty. We've got the 13th and 15th um, poorest suburbs in Brisbane are just um, within a couple of kilometres of our church. So, So I absolutely loved it and was planning to be there for the rest of my life. So if you had asked me, Ruth, what are you going to do for the next 20 years? I would say, I'm going to be at Nexus. I love it. I'll probably do different ministry areas. My senior pastor would just kind of put me into areas that needed to get fixed up or started. Um, So, he's like, Ruth, could you go and do this for a while? And okay, and I'll jump in the deep end and try and learn what to do. At one point, he had me start a kindergarten. Um, so, that was – I had no idea what I was doing and had to learn very quickly. And even the same with the charity. He was like, could you go and sort of review the, the charity that had been going for a little while, started by people with a really good heart and a big heart for the community but hadn't really done a lot of research about what the community needed. So, so I would just get sort of put into areas and um, young adults at one point. And he's like, could you? Stephen just maybe go and look after young adults for a while? I was like, sure. So I was always up for an adventure. But it was just I was going to be at Nexus for the rest of my life. Loved it. Um, no church is perfect. Nexus is not perfect. But just loved it. And I was like, this is it. God's called me. I'm here forever. And I was totally happy. Um, and then for a couple of years, and I didn't realise it until hindsight, but sometimes you can see what God's been doing when you look back. So, for a couple of years, God had started to be talking to me about being in the marketplace. And there was one year in particular, I just felt like God said, oh, I want you to do your Bible reading in the Old Testament this year. And so, I just did that. And so, I was reading a lot about Daniel and I was reading about Nehemiah and was reading about Joseph and these people who were um, working in the marketplace of their culture and providing leadership had no idea where this was all going when i was reading it was just really interesting and it was it was it was great and but more and more and then as i started doing the media strategy for scripture union when we had the high court challenge and i just felt like god giving me these little nudges about going off staff at the church and going and doing something in the marketplace and it was getting a little bit more and more uncomfortable you know when you're like I, I just don't really want to listen, God. I'm just really happy here, and um, then He just keeps whispering. It's like well, I don't, I don't think that's anything. I'm just really happy here, and then this little whisper: No, you wouldn't be saying that. That's just me, because I'm really happy here. And then finally, you go: Are you actually saying something to me, God? And He's like: Finally, you've started to listen. So I ended up trying to strike a bit of a deal with God, which is a bit of a dumb idea. But I was like, okay, okay, I think you're telling me I need to go marketplace. So what about I'll resign when you tell me where I'm going to be going if I come off staff at the church? God just laughed at me. He's like, that's not how it works, Ruth. He's like, I told Abraham to go and I didn't tell him where I was going. And I was like, that's just very scary. And I was like, oh. so I I didn't quite say, okay, I was like, let me think about it. Uh, I spoke to a trusted counsellor that I had been seeing and I was like, that's a. I feel like this is what God is saying but it's really scary and what if I don't get another job and what what if I end up working at McDonald's and I just, not that there's anything wrong with working at McDonald's but that's not where I had pictured my life was and I was really comfortable and happy where I was. And um, she just wisely didn't give me any answers, but she was like, what do you think God's saying? I was like, don't ask me that. (laughs) So, then I finally um, acknowledged what God was saying. And so, I had a chat to our senior pastor. I actually had long service leave owing to me. So, he's like, why don't you take your long service leave and then you can think about resigning at the end. I was like, okay, and that felt good. I had a little bit of time to have a bit of a rest and hear from God and, you know, maybe God would change his mind while I was on long service leave, Um, but he didn't. So I got to the end of my long service leave and resigned. It was all very scary, but they, you know, were very lovely and kind and I got flowers and all these kinds of things, but I had no idea what was going to come next. And so I resigned and then the very next day, absolutely nothing happened. And I'm like, so what do I do now? (laughs) And then I was talking to a few different people, and then it looked like a particular job might come up, and that was looking like it might be possible, and then that wasn't working out. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to start applying for anything. And so, I just started applying for anything and it had been a really long time since I'd applied for a job and I hadn't actually really applied for the church job because the way it had just all kind of worked and God had opened doors and that kind of stuff. So, I'm like, okay, I have to work out how to write a CV. I don't know how to write a CV. So, you Google that and there's lots of different options. And um, it was just a really uncomfortable season. And I remember I was lying in bed. Now, remember, this is Pastor Ruth, Okay who has been preaching for 14 years about how you can trust God and you can step out in faith and, you know, God is always there. And I remember lying there in bed one night and it was just like the fear just wanted to completely overwhelm me and it was all I could do to just get this short verse in Psalm 91, He is my God and I trust Him. And I just had to like breathe in, He is my God breathe out, and I trust him. Breathe in, he is my God. Breathe out, and I trust him. And that was the only way in that moment I could keep that fear at bay from just overwhelming me. Because I was like, for a start, I was thinking about, I felt like God was saying, go marketplace. And I'd been working in a church for 16 years. And most people don't understand church life. And they think, Oh, what, it's just like 10 of you who sing songs on a Sunday? And so they don't understand, you know, the very best people in the world to run an event are church people because we know how to manage people and logistics and volunteers week in, week out. So when you've been volunteering and serving in a church or working in a church, you've got this incredible suite of skills that the world actually desperately needs. Quick um, side mention when the floods happened in Brisbane in 2011 and our big local council um, said, okay, we're going to coordinate all the people who want to volunteer in Brisbane. So here's four places in Brisbane if you want to volunteer, you go there and you sign up and we'll send you out to go and volunteer somewhere. And I was running the charity at this stage at Nexus. And I was like, that's the dumbest idea ever. Seriously, you're going to send all of Brisbane to four places? Do you know how long it's going to take just to sign people in? So we were like, okay, Nexus, if you want to volunteer, come to the church. We'll talk to some other churches, find out where you can go and we'll get you sorted. And we did because churches know how to respond to need and we know how to respond to our community. So never let anyone put you down because you're doing something in the church. Back to what I was talking about. So there I was that night, absolutely trying to stop fear overwhelming me. He is my God and I trust him. He is my God and I trust him. And I had to hold on to a truth that was stronger than fear, that would trump that fear, which is he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And fear isn't displaced by being, isn't dispelled by being brave fear is displaced by love so we don't have to be brave enough we have to have an encounter with his love because perfect love casts out all fear so it's not about being strong mighty women overcoming fear it's about encountering his love And when we encounter his love, that casts out, that displaces the fear that tries to overwhelm us. The Lord is our light and our salvation. And his love trumps fear that tries to come against us. You know, when we start to get that revelation of who he is, how good he is, how kind he is, how loving he is. Because we all have pictures of God in our head that have formed from various different influences. But when we get that revelation of how good and how kind and how loving God is, how much he delights over us, that wonderful passage in Zephaniah, Zechariah, that I, I always get the two Zed books confused. Zephaniah, he rejoices over us with singing. Isn't that lovely? He re- God is rejoicing over you with singing right now. He looks at you and breaks into song of rejoicing even in the morning when you're first out of bed <laughs> because he created you he loves you he knows who you really are and he can't help but just break out in rejoicing song when he sees you and when we get that revelation of who he is and who he thinks we are then that light and that love starts to trump fear That's our trump card. When fear comes, we play the trump card of his love so we can walk more confidently when we're walking in and with his love, going through the journey with us, even in the difficult times. So how do we get that revelation of his love? Well, um, we encounter God in his word. You know, there's been... I don't have the source for you right now, but there has been research that shows if you read God's word... Four out of seven days, so more than half. So it doesn't quite work if you only read it three... ...but if you read it four out of seven... ...it makes a noticeable difference to the kinds of decisions... ...that you make in your life. Obviously, if you're reading it three out of seven, keep going. Don't give up if you're reading it three out of seven. But let me encourage you, just flip over, add one more day... ...and it actually starts to make a noticeable difference... ...to the kinds of decisions and the, the character of decisions... ...that you make in your life because you're feeding on the word of God which is truth and which is life. Read his word but let him read you. As you're reading the word, you don't just come with a to-do list, okay? I have to read this proverb. Tick, okay, that's good. If I do this 3 more times this week, it'll make a noticeable decision to the kinds of noticeable difference to the kind of decisions that I make. But let him read you as you read his word. And, you know, he knows us so much better than ourselves. And as we come, we're not just opening the word of God, but we're opening our heart to the author of our salvation. And, you know, it's incredible. Some, um, so about a month or so ago, there was some challenges with work and I was feeling various emotions and I didn't quite understand why I was feeling the way I did. So I just, after the church service, just went and spent some time in the prayer chapel. I was like, I just need to sit with God for a while. And God... Didn't just articulate for me how I was feeling, but he helped me understand why I was feeling that way. And just like in an instant, like he'll just whisper sometimes, he'll go, you're feeling this because of this. Ah, wow. And that meant I could start to ask God into that why, which meant the what started to change. So let him read you as you're reading his word. We get a revelation of that perfect love in worship. You know, make sure when you're turning up to church that you don't turn up just in time for the sermon because the sermon is wonderful, but the worship is -er. (laughs) wonderfuler. And that's from a preacher. The worship is where we encounter, where he can just speak a word, where he can just whisper and that, that transaction that happens literally can shift things. It can shift ideas. It can shift futures. And that's here in corporate worship. It's at home. You stick on a CD or does anyone use CDs anymore? Or you put on your phone, play some music from your phone. Um, and you just allow that worship moment to captivate your heart, to, to give you a revelation of that perfect love. Who's grateful for the amazing worship teams in our church? Aren't they just wonderful? They're such a blessing. We encounter God and we get a revelation of that perfect love in our small steps of obedience. So it's in our service. So often we might feel like we're a bit stuck and we haven't heard from God. Can I encourage you, find an area to start serving in. Because it's often in the doing that we start hearing. And this is not about doing enough or earning God or anything like that, but it's just it gets us moving. And sometimes it helps take our focus off ourself and we're serving somebody else. And then because we stop being self-focused, we can start to hear God again. And it's just in those little... And it might be something you feel passionately called to... Well, you might feel no calling, but there's a need. So just go and have a go. Uh, and you'll start to work out where you're called to when you just start responding to need. And God has a way of moving us and shaping us and moving us into all different kinds of things. And we learn something from every season. So we get a revelation often as of that perfect love as we encounter God in those small steps of obedience and in service, when we love and serve God the least and the last, the outcast, the weak and the poor. It's when we get a revelation of that love. The, um, I was trying to write a sermon a few years ago just before Christmas and um, I saw come up on Facebook a request for volunteers for our community Christmas lunch that was about a week before. And the sermon that I was writing, I was given the topic... And it was about making room at the inn, so about making room for people. And it was really hard work and life was really busy. I wasn't on staff at the church at the time. So you sort of have to write your sermons at night and in the um, weekends and stuff like that. And the thought went through my head, oh, I can't go and volunteer and help at our community Christmas lunch because I'm busy trying to write a sermon about making room for people. (laughs) And I was like... Okay, email, yes, I'd like to volunteer for the community Christmas lunch. And um, met just this lovely man and um, we try and make it a real party atmosphere. It's it's wonderful. It's part of what we do with the charity. There was a photo booth and so we got our photo taken together. We'll call him Rob, (laughs) me and Rob. And um, he was talking to me afterwards so the photo got printed out and he said, I've got a photo frame at home. And he said, it's got four spaces. And he said, two of the spaces have... Photos of some family, but I don't ever see them. He said, I'm going to put this photo in one of the other spaces. And it was just like, I nearly missed this opportunity for him to experience the love of God and for me to experience the love of God because I was too busy. But when we step out of our busyness and we serve people who can never give anything back to us, we encounter the love of God. Very real, very tangible. At the time, I was like, I just have something in my eye. I just have to go and fix it up. I was like, don't cry in front of him. Then you'll have to... Let me encourage you to intentionally position yourself for revelation of who he is. When you intentionally position yourself for revelation of who he is and what his love is like it means you've got that trump card in your hand. And whenever fear tries to raise its ugly, ugly head, you can play that trump card. I know I'm loved. I know what the love of God is like. I know what he is like. I know what he thinks about me. He is my God and I can trust him because he is loving and he is good and he is kind. And in the midst of situations where fear is swirling around, we can play the trump card of that love of God and that will cast out fear. So his love trumps our fear. Now we're going to go to verse 4. We're going to read through to verse 10. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord, be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. His presence trumps their absence. You know, the author of this psalm, King David, knew what it meant to be abandoned. He knew what it meant to suffer the absence of of those who should have loved him, and yet he knew that the presence of God trumped abandonment. You know, whatever absence we experience, whether that's the absence of a partner, or a parent, or a child, or a friend, or a job, or a dream, there's a promise in Psalm 27 that his presence trumps their absence. You know, there are all sorts of reasons for absence and loss in our life, Um, and it could be accompanied by longing. So perhaps you'd love to be married, but it hasn't worked out like that, or you were married and you're no longer, and there's that absence that you feel very, very closely, or you'd love to be a parent, but children haven't arrived, or you never knew your own parents. Um, That absence could be accompanied by loss. Perhaps, as I said, your spouse walked out on you or is present but emotionally absent. Um, It could be that absence could be accompanied by pain. You're in a relationship that was abusive and you had to remove yourself from it. Whatever the case is, whatever that absence is, maybe it was a dream that you were absolutely sure was going to work out And for whatever reason, it didn't. Perhaps it was a business that you owned and everything went wrong and maybe it wasn't your fault, but someone betrayed you. And there's an absence of that vocation, that, that dream, that thing that you had built. Whatever the case, there's a promise in Psalm 27. See, the thing about holding a trump card in your hand is you don't have to deny the reality of the cards that are already on the table. You don't have to pretend that the cards that are already on the table aren't there but you've got a confidence knowing that what you hold in your hand trumps the reality of what's in front of you. So we can recognise the loss or the absence that's in front of us but know we have a card to play that overcomes that. Because in the deepest rejection we can ever experience, in the greatest pain we can ever feel, in the absence that remains, he is there and he is enough. He doesn't just meet us in that absence, but he actually speaks to the very deepest parts of us and he brings healing and wholeness and in the midst of mourning, he brings joy. You know that wonderful passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 61.3, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks the Lord has planted for his own glory. His presence trumps their absence. And in fact his presence actually trumps their presence because even if all those things that i was talking about before you have in your life even if you've been truly truly fortunate and you've never experienced loss and you've never experienced absence we actually first still have to find our relational needs met in christ Because if we look to have our relational needs and that deepest part of us that needs love, if we look to have that met in other people, they will never be able to fill the deepest parts of our life and our love. It's only in Christ that we find unconditional love and acceptance day in, day out. It's only in Christ that we find an ever abiding sense of approval. It's only in Christ that we actually have a sense of enduring value. It's only in Christ that we have a friendship that will never let us down because people always will. Even the people who stick with us, even the people who are sitting next to you right now, they will let you down from time to time and they will never give you the love that you need. But his presence will trump even their presence. If we don't find that relational love and need in Christ, then we'll actually try and pull something out of people that they don't have to give us. We'll be trying to pull that sense of value. We'll be trying to pull that sense of, of um, unconditional acceptance. We'll be trying to pull that sense of identity out of other people. They don't have it to give us and it will actually end up weakening the relationships that we do have in our life. But when we real, because we can't get from other people what is only God's to give. We can't get, I can't get from Naomi, who I don't know yet, but if we were besties, I can't get from Naomi a sense of identity because that's only God's to give. I can't get from Michelle a sense of value because that's only God's to give. Michelle can speak to the value that she sees, but I can never get from her that confidence that comes from hearing it from God because otherwise it's reliant on what other people say about us. So even if our life has been perfect and even if we've never experienced any absence or any loss or any disappointment or any rejection, I don't think any of those people exist, but even if our life had been perfect, his presence still trumps the presence of everything else in our life. And yet, coming on from what I've just said, it's going to sound a little bit weird. There's this other incredible promise in verse 4 because it says, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Living in the house of the Lord there doesn't mean staying in a physical building. So, you don't all have to move in to your local churches. You don't have to turn up tomorrow with your suitcase. Pastor, I'm moving in because, you know, I just want his presence to trump everything else. And so, I'm. you don't need to worry about me. I'm just going to make up a bed in the corner. And could we maybe just get some better hair dryers in the church, you know, bathrooms and that kind of thing. It doesn't mean moving in physically to the physical building. Um, This psalm actually does talk about physical space. In um, verse 4, it talks about the temple and the sanctuary of God. They're both physical spaces. But the word which David, who's the author of the psalm here, actually uses in that spot about living in the house of the Lord all the days of his life means much more than a physical space. It's very distinct from the other two words he uses, and it means a home containing a family, those belonging to the same household, and a family of descendants as an organized body. So the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek after, is that I would dwell in the family of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand if you say, I've noticed that sometimes a family of faith is imperfect. And I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand because we all would and then we'd all just feel a little bit embarrassed. Um, The family of faith is an imperfect household because you and I are in it. The family of faith is designed to be an example to the world of the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's designed to be faith-filled. It's designed to be welcoming. It's designed to be encouraging. It's designed to be generous. It's designed to be inclusive It's designed, I think, to be multi-generational, multicultural, multi-everything, because the family of faith is the place where we all come and we gather around Jesus Christ and in him there is no male, female, slave-free, Jew, Gentile. That's what the family of faith is designed to be. And actually, when we look at the culture that we live in and our society that we live in, that's actually a wonderful gift to our world. You know, within a decade, couples-only households in Australia, which are currently 30% of all household types, will be Australia's most common household type. So, couples-only households will be more numerous than couples and kids' households. In Australia, one in four Australian households is a lone person household. Those statistics remind us of the incredible power... And importance of community and what a wonderful light the family of faith can be because it's wonderful to have people of all ages and all stages of life all together rubbing up against one another the joy of Babies being born, the sadness of funerals and and what a family does and rallies in situations like that. Kids graduating high school, kids going off to school camps, people getting married, all kinds of things. There's something so life-giving about being a part of a family of faith. And we don't have to let the times that we let each other down and the times that we're less than what we're designed to be detract from the fact that we are still a wonderful, wonderful gift to the world in which we live the church is awesome yes the church has made terrible mistakes i have made terrible mistakes and you probably have too but what the family faith is designed to be and has the potential to be and can be as we continue to work together we continue to work on our stuff and we continue to encourage one another is this wonderful picture to a world that is starving for relationship of what it means for us to all get together, to love Jesus and to love the world around about us. The household of faith is an expression of his presence wrapped in people. And if his presence trumps their presence, you know what? God actually can't cook me a meal. If someone's sick, if someone in my family is sick, God can't cook me a meal. But Michelle could if she lived in Brisbane and if she was a good cook and I don't know if she is or not. (laughs) She is. I'm hearing that she is. (laughs) You know, God can't give me a hug but my friend can. God can't help me move house. When we moved house a while ago, um, my husband was away for work. He planned that well, didn't he? (laughs) But six friends from church came and helped. God couldn't do it but those people could. The family of faith is his presence wrapped in people. And if I can encourage you, whatever disappointment and disillusionment you've had with the church, to ask God to just help you put that aside, to put it in him, to extend forgiveness and to embrace again this wonderful design of God, which is called the family of faith. Because that's part of the trump card that we have to show our world. So, his love trumps our fear and his presence trumps their absence. His goodness trumps life circumstance. So, let's go to verse 11. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet, I am confident... I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. So I told you about that night that I was lying in bed and just very fearful about what I was going to end up doing for work. So not long after that, I get this phone call out of the blue and it's a friend, um, we're not particularly close. You know those friends that you have met a while ago, you really hit it off and it's like every six to 12 months you run into each other and it's great, but it's not like you're in your life with them every day. So um, this one of these kinds of friends called me and she's like, oh, do you know Fiona Simpson? And I said, "Mm, I know who she is, but I don't know her. And she said she's um, about to become Speaker of Queensland Parliament and she was just talking to me. She's looking for a staff member. Um, it just looks exactly like you, you would fit it really well. And I said to her, look, I've got a friend who's just resigned a while ago and is looking for something. Do you want to talk to her? She said she'd like to talk to you. Is it okay if I pass on your phone number? I'm like, sure. I mean, what can you lose? Um, so she called me and we had a bit of a chat. I sent off the CV, which I had worked out how to do by that stage. Um, went in for an interview and got the job. So I became the protocol and communications officer for the Speaker of Queensland Parliament. Now, just to be really honest with you, I had to Google what does the Speaker of Queensland Parliament do <laughs> before I went in for my interview and still didn't quite understand it by the time I went for my interview, but I was like, oh, let's have a look. Um... Six months into that, uh, her Chief of Staff, uh, who's still going, I still don't know what the Speaker of Queensland Parliament does. Do I need to... Okay, so the brief... It's okay. I saw a few faces going, can you let us in on the secret, Ruth? So, she's kind of like the boss of the Parliament. So, she has a few roles. She referees when they're doing the debates in the Parliament, And she has to make sure everyone follows the rules. So, she's kind of like the referee on a sporting match. She's kind of like the teacher in a class. Um, She's also responsible for the whole security of parliament. So, um, everything that happens there. And she's the one who has to represent parliament to everybody else, the courts and um, to other countries that come. So, we would often have foreign dignitaries come and all that kind of stuff. So, I was on a steep learning curve. Uh, And the most embarrassing part was when we had someone from an ambassador from a very large country come to have coffee with her. And so it was the official, you know, welcoming and I'd set up all the flags. And then at the end we do a photo so you know everyone can have the photo. And the other ambassador's protocol person just sort of jumped in before we got the photo and just switched the flag that I had put upside down. I was like, I'm going to die now. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, just we're confident in him, not in what we do all the time. <laughs> so, six months into that role, her chief of staff had to leave for some family reasons. So, she said, well, would you um, step up into that role? And I said, sure, I'd love to. Um, go and Google what does the chief of staff do um, and that was great and so because I was in that role we then did a full security review of the Parliament so that was really interesting to again learn all of that kind of stuff and that set us up to then be able to host the g20 leaders retreat at Parliament which I then was given the responsibility to coordinate with the federal government and all the other delegations who wanted to come and um, check out our Parliament to make sure their leaders were going to be secure so again, Very steep learning curve, very unexpected adventure. Um, The best thing was they were trying to keep the fact that this event was going to be at Parliament secret uh, just for security reasons and we had working media in the building. So, we had to make up code words for what we were doing and it was... So, we'd been planning for about six months. It was three days before the event, before the first media um, hint of what was happening came out. So that was pretty special because I'm leading delegations of 50 people through the parliament so they can be checking all the security and trying to plan it around when I think the media are going to be in the building. So um, that was a lot of fun. But so there I was one night lying in bed, absolutely terrified what was the future going to hold and God's like, I've got this sorted, it's okay. You just need to learn to trust me. And then so I was loving that job. Fiona Simpson, for those of you who don't know her, she's been a Member of Parliament for 20 years. She's a Christian. She loves Jesus. She's incredibly down to earth. Um, she just is one of those gold women, you know, where you just go, just the nicest person ever. And she's very capable, very competent. So it was a real joy to get to know her and to serve her and to work with her. And it took us around quite a bit of Queensland, as we tried to go and just engage with people about letting your voice um, count in the kind of Queensland that we want to build. So then, um, interestingly, about two or two and a half years ago, I just, because I don't think we ever totally, completely eliminate the weaknesses in our life. We get stronger. But then it's like sometimes God brings us back around because he's like, let's just go a little bit deeper in that lesson that I've been teaching you. And it's like, really? I thought I sorted this out a few years ago. And he's like, you did and you did really well, but now I want to grow you up a little bit more. And so we're just going to go back to there and we're just going to go a little bit deeper. And it's like, oh, okay. So about two and a half years ago, I just, again, got this sense. I was like, there's still some fear-based stuff going on in my life. There's still this underlying expectation that everything's going to go wrong. Uh, And I couldn't quite work out why that was happening. And I knew that God was saying, Ruth, I just want to do a little bit more work in your heart. So I was asking the Holy Spirit one day, I'm like, so what's the deal here? Um, I've seen your goodness time and time again. I've got this amazing job that you've got me into, even though I was lying there terrified in bed that night and you came through for me. Um, I've seen you turn up again time and time again. Look, I don't have time to tell you. I was briefly telling Michelle and James, just the way God's even intervened, my husband nearly died twice from a brain virus and, you know, God's done incredible things. So I'm like, I've seen you, God, do great stuff and yet sometimes I still doubt and sometimes I still fear and what's going on? And the Holy Spirit really illuminated for me in that season. He's like, you're still living with the expectation that sooner or later something's going to go wrong because of the kind of household that I grew up in because it was quite a volatile household and you just never so you'd be walking on eggshells you just never quite knew when someone was going to explode and it was all going to get ugly and you didn't there was actually often no rational reason for why that anger would erupt and so I had sort of learned look it's only a matter of time until something goes really wrong and it's going to be difficult and upsetting And so while God had, as I said, had really just done amazing work and changed my heart and changed my life, he helped me see a couple of years ago there's still these underlying expectations that we need to keep fine-tuning a little bit. And my expectations needed to change from something's eventually going to go wrong to expecting the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so he certainly wasn't asking me to be slack or to deny any sense of personal responsibility, but he just wanted me to let him take some of the responsibility for his goodness being seen in the land of the living. And, you know, that's good, because he does a much better job at being God than I do. So, at the end of 2014, um, for a few reasons, Stephen and I thought, it's probably time to look to change our house. So, my sister had moved in with us, She worked from home when she wasn't travelling. She had a lot of um, international travel that she often did. My husband's got his own film production company business, so he was working from home in an office. He had a part-time staff member. Um, It was getting fairly crowded, let's just say that. I think we also had another young guy from church living with us at that time as well. And um, so we're like, we should probably look at just getting something that's a little bit bigger. Um, However, I was the Chief of Staff for the Speaker of Queensland Parliament and I knew that there was an election coming up in the first part of the following year and my job was tied to whoever won the election. Um, So that old habit, that old way of thinking would have been way too insecure to actually look at changing um, our house because of the fact that my employment and ability to repay the mortgage was linked to the election results... And so if I had just listened to that old way of thinking, we would have stayed put exactly where we were. Yeah, as I kept talking to God about it, um, and Stephen was like, I think we should move, I think we should move. I just felt this real sense of peace, which was almost a little bit disconcerting. I was like, no, I feel like it's going to be okay. I feel like I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we looked around and found a good place at a good price and made the move in December 2014. And then in January 2015, the election was called. And while most people expected the government to stay the same, um, democracy brings uncertainty and the government changed. And I knew I was going to lose my job. The first 24 hours after the election result was not a particularly fun one in our house. There were a lot of tears, I think a lot of shock. I actually didn't sleep the night of the election because we were just completely blown away, had not expected it at all. And um, even while uh, I was on um, roster to welcome at Children's Ministry the next morning, so I sort of put lots of concealer under my eyes and I turned up, I thought, I'm going to do it, I'm going to fulfil my roster. And I turned up and I saw someone in the car park and they were nice to me, so I cried. And then I walked in through sort of the foyer and someone else was nice to me, so I cried. And then I got down to children's ministry and I was like, yeah, no, I'm all okay. And I was saying hello to a few of the children then someone else came over to me. And the funny thing is we've um, got a wonderful lady in our church who's a Labor politician. So she won her seat and someone came over to me and they're like, isn't it great that she won her seat? And I just started crying again and I was like... Okay, I'm calling it quits. I can't welcome at kids ministry anymore. I'm just going to traumatise the children. Um, So I just kind of went and got myself together until I could walk out without crying and go home and sit with my puppy dogs for a little while. And so while I had absolutely no idea what the next step was going to be, I knew that I could be confident that I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living And I have. I um, walked into a job which was a challenging job, but it was a job, so I was thankful for that. Um, And then sort of marked time there for about nine months until I got a call out of the blue from someone. And they're like, we're going to start up this thing and it's going to be for people who are suffering from substance misuse or mental health and we'd love you to come and be a part of it. So I said no. No. And then they asked me again and uh, I was like, yeah, look, I don't really think I'm the right person because they were asking me to be the marketing consultant. And I was like, I don't really know how you'd measure success in that but I think what you're doing is great and I'll help you find some people and um, was trying to help them find some people and I was like, you can keep just bouncing ideas off me because I think what you're doing is really great but I'm not right for the role that you're talking about. Um, And I was trying to find other people and people were saying, this is going to be really great, you know, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, it is. It's going to be really great. And then they eventually came back to me and they said, well, why don't you project manage the startup and then lead it? And I was like, let's keep talking about that. But God in his goodness and graciousness meant that same week they came back to me with that. Someone else completely out of the blue called me and they're like, could we talk to you about a job? I was like... Yes, you can. So it was wonderful because God gave me the opportunity to know I wasn't just jumping out of a difficult job, but I had the opportunity to choose. And so the job I'm in at the moment, um, it's Christian-based. And so sometimes I feel, even in the midst of, again, great uncertainty, I had that trump card so I could walk through that season with so much more confidence Because I knew I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. And that's actually his responsibility, not mine, to reveal that goodness. You know, sometimes um, his goodness doesn't look like what you think it's going to look like. Sometimes it's completely different to what you expected. But when you know you've got a trump card of his goodness in your hand, you start looking. And you start looking, expecting to see goodness. And you find it in the most unexpected places. We can be confident, not because we have to work up a confidence, not because we feel like we can look all confident on the outside not because of any particular letters after our name or any particular education or where we live or what we do or anything like that, not because of what our surname is, not because of whose children or whose parents we are. We can be confident because his love trumps our fear. We can be confident because his presence trumps their absence. And we can be confident because his goodness trumps life's circumstances. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now you know, we can walk out of the darkness of fear and loss and anxiety because we can walk into the light of Jesus Christ. Of course, the greatest trump card is the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he defeated every sin. He defeated all of our shame. He defeated all of our past. He removed all of that from us and made us into a new creation. And he made us into who he always designed us to be, but who we got a bit messed up on the way. But he designed us to be his, to be whole, to be holy and without fault. So let me read Psalm 27 to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident." The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident. I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. In the next session after lunch, I'm going to talk about having a fearless faith for a wounded world. And we're going to talk a little bit about how God has positioned you to make the world around you a more beautiful place. And let me pray for you right now. Mm. Father God, we're so incredibly thankful that we don't have to be God of our own life. You've got this. And it's easy to say, and sometimes it's harder to walk that out. And so we just remind ourselves now of your love. We remind ourselves now of your presence. We remind ourselves now of your goodness. And we pray that you would continue to bring revelation to us of all that you've done for us, of the trump cards that we hold in our hands so that whatever we face right now, whatever cards are on the table in front of us, that you can breathe life, and revelation into these trump cards we do hold in our hands that we can play amen amen thank you,
0: thank you. Ah, wow well, ladies it's lunchtime now i'm not sure if lunch is ready but we'll get marianne to come in. she's finished her that's okay We'll get Marianne to come and give you instructions. But if you're after the messages from today, they are being recorded and we will be...